I feel compelled to remind you that often when Jesus did the teaching, he would sit down and the congregation would stand. <laughs> That's what it says in Mark. He got in a boat, went out a little bit from the shore, sat in the boat, and everyone stood. One of these days I'm going to try that. But that's my justification for the chair behind me on occasion, and bad knees is the other. I remember back in the 1980s, I was pastoring in a remote place, and it was discouraging, and I had the opportunity to go to a conference held at the church of my favorite pastor in the world. To be honest with you, I came very close to idolizing this guy. I had the privilege of flying out to his church and meeting at the conference and met with him, met with others, and it was so uplifting. But you know the most encouraging thing that thrilled my soul, the thing I wasn't expecting that I took back from that conference that gave me renewal, was to hear that this famous pastor of mine had people who opposed him. Yeah! <laughs> I mean, I mean, if a famous guy like this who seems to do everything right and is known all over the world has people who oppose him, then maybe the conflict I face isn't so unusual. In fact, it isn't. Jesus is the one who said in John chapter 15, if they hated me, they'll what? Hate you too. Uh, disciples not above their master, and if, if you're Christ-like, they will love you on the one hand, for the people heard him gladly, and they will hate you on the other when they understand that your message is so clear, immovable, that it is not universal, but excludes people who will not by faith Embrace it. Oh, if they hated me and you're like me, be sure they'll hate you too. And so that's what the Apostle Paul was experiencing. If we open up our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're coming now to Paul's last will and testament. Actually, we've been coming for several weeks with many interruptions to Paul's last will and testament. It seems like he's never going to die. But he will probably in the next week or two. And, and Paul says some interesting things in this last will and testament. He says in, in writing out his last thoughts to Timothy, he also mentions a bunch of other names. So we get this picture of the people who are in Paul's life. Some of them for good and some of them for ill. So I take you to verse 11 just briefly. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark. Bring him with you. He said to Timothy in verse 9, make every effort to come to me and he categorizes that a little bit later. Make sure you come before winter because if you wait until winter, the ships aren't sailing. And then if you wait until spring, I'm dead by then. So come quickly. And he says in verse 13, when you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus. Now we know nothing about Carpus. 
We know something about Troas, and it's very possible that that was the city where the Apostle Paul was arrested. And it seems as though he might have been staying in the home of Carpus. This is conjecture, but it has some support to it when you put all the facts together and you connect the dots. And he also says, bring the books, especially the parchments. The books probably included, well, books written on papyrus, kind of a plant leaf, and the parchments written on leather. And it, it would have been interesting to know what books Paul wanted, but I have to believe uh, it was a copy of the Old Testament that he wanted brought to him because he wanted to be in the Word. But he might have had some interesting books that we, he was reading as well. So Paul's in prison, knowing he's going to die, and he's very much alone. And he wants three things. The company of other people to cheer him up. And he wants a warm coat because winter is coming. And he wants books to occupy his mind. And that to me is fantastic because it's very human and it's what you and I would probably want as well. And yet at Paul's first defense, everyone had left him and he can now only say, Luke is the only guy with me, verse 11. And he's very much alone. Hanley Moule wrote in his small commentary on 2 Timothy a little story about the famous William Tyndale, who wrote, translated the Bible into English. Tyndale was in a prison in Belgium in the 1500s and listened to the letter he wrote just before he died. I entreat your lordship, and that by the Lord Jesus Christ, that if I must remain here for the winter, you will beg the commissary to be so kind as to send me from the things of mine, which she has, a warmer coat. I feel the cold painfully in my head. Uh, also, a warmer cap. Uh, my coat is very thin, he said. A and also that woolen shirt of mine, if he will send it. But most of all, my Hebrew Bible, grammar and vocabulary, so that I might spend my time in that pursuit. That sounds very Pauline, doesn't it? 1,500 years after Paul. Very practical things. The mightiest of believers know what it is to be alone and long for some human encouragement. But let's, let's look at a couple individuals specifically in this portion of Scripture. And the first one is actually mentioned in verse 14. His name is Alexander the coppersmith, or the metal worker. And under this heading, let's, let's put the phrase, some people will oppose you. Some will oppose you. Paul says in verse 14, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. When you serve Jesus Christ, you are not insulated from persecution. You are not protected from pain. You are not given an experience that is always positive and comfortable. Here again, the health and wealth theology has a dagger to their heart. And it's the scripture. 
Now, who is this guy? Well, we don't really know anything about him. There is a heretic mentioned in 1 Timothy by the name of Alexander, but it's unlikely that it's him. There is an orator in the book of Acts named Alexander, but it's unlikely that it is him. It's a very popular name. So we really don't know anything about this guy except what we read here. He was skilled in either copper or metal working, fashioning bowls and plates or ornaments or statues. But he did Paul great harm. And we don't know exactly what that was, except a couple guesses. A little later on in verse 15, he strongly or vigorously opposed the message of the gospel. So he did whatever he could because of his hatred for Christ to destroy the preaching of the good news. But there is in the original text this idea connected with the Greek word that he was an, an informant. Thus leading people to believe that Alexander, the coppersmith, was the one who turned Paul in, perhaps when he was in Troas at the house of Carpus, so that Paul was rearrested only a few years after his first Roman imprisonment and now sentenced to death because of the lies that were put forth about him. And by the way, the lies that were used in Rome at this time to incarcerate Christians were that they... Um, were atheists because they did not believe in the idols of Rome. Interesting. That uh, they were um, um, cannibals because at the communion service they ate the body and drank the blood of Christ. If you're not on the inside, that's exactly what it may sound like on the outside. And then, of course, they just wouldn't uh, yield to the emperor and so treason it might have been these or something else but Paul was put in prison and maybe by Alexander the coppersmith who did him much harm I, I read a book at least a portion of a book written a years ago by Martian Marshall Shelley and the title of the book was well-intentioned dragons and it's about people in the church who try to help pastors, <laughs> but in the end, they burn them up with their fire. They're well-intentioned, but they end up doing things that harm the work in the ministry. This guy's not a well-intentioned dragon. This guy's pure dragon from the outside, and he wants to take Paul out of the picture. So Paul says, verse 14, the Lord will repay him for what he has done. The Lord will repay them. Isn't that a great phrase? It's the opposite of, I'm going to get even. I'm going to get back at that guy. Uh, the, the common pursuit in America, perhaps the favorite pastime, is revenge. Someone has harmed you, you're going to get back at them. We have revenge killings going on all over. Someone said that if you are a person who desires revenge, you better dig two graves. One for the person you hope to kill and for yourself. Because revenge is kind of like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. 
Revenge turns in bitterness into our soul, which slowly destroys us from the inside out. Revenge is where we're really more concerned about ourselves than the kingdom of God. For Jesus prayed for those who crucified him. What were his words? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This guy might have known known what he was doing. And Paul still says, I'm going to let the Lord do it. There's a great passage in Romans chapter 12. Jot it down in your notes. Read it later. Let me read it to you. Don't repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Why? Because God does a better job at revenge than you do. Leave room for God's wrath. Don't play God by bringing punishment on us. You don't know the whole story. But let God step in when he desires to. For it is written in Scripture, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Thirsty, give him drink. In doing this, you will heap coals of fire on his head, which means you will bring conviction to their soul. Their mind will burn with, how come I'm doing something evil to him and he's doing something kind to me? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good the Lord will repay now Paul does say to him be on your guard verse 15 be on your beware of Alexander because if he was after me he'll be after you and and he told Timothy to come quickly to him and Timothy may be stopping in Troas to pick up the things that Paul left in haste like the books and the coat when he was quickly arrested and perhaps that's where Alexander lives so Timothy if you're traveling that same path I did beware of this guy because he'll be hunting for you as well Look at verse 16. At my first defense, which was the preliminary investigation as Paul was taken into the Roman court. At my first defense, no one came to support me. Everyone deserted me. And Paul is feeling low. May it not be held against them, he says. No revenge. No revenge for the people on the outside who are trying to destroy him or the people who are friends on the inside who should have been supporting him. No revenge at all. May the Lord not hold it against them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. As I was studying for the message this week, I was reading an article in Bible Study Magazine written by... Aubrey Smith. And she wrote an excellent article on forgiveness. I'll not read the whole thing, but let me give you some bullet points. We often burn with anger. We bury our pain and remove ourselves, cut ourselves off from toxic people. 
We relish the high moral ground of being a victim. <laughs> Some people don't want situations resolved because they enjoy being the victim. Hey, have I told you what so-and-so did to me? Yeah. I'm just, I'm bearing it for Jesus' sake. Just want the world to know. They relish being the victim. But unforgiveness leads to bitterness, and bitterness will destroy you. And to withhold forgiveness from your offenders means that you forfeit forgiveness from God. Read it in Matthew. But you don't know what people... I don't care what they did. Did they harm you deeply? It happened to Paul. Did they crucify you? That happened to Jesus. If you withhold forgiveness from others, you forfeit God's forgiveness. It's the way it is. The law in God's land. Jesus even taught us that some people need to be forgiven repeatedly. Oh, those are the worst kinds of people. I mean, if someone makes a mistake and you forgive them, but if they keep doing the same dumb thing, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Yeah. Don't count it. It's too discouraging. But that's the case. Let God repay. You forgive. And we don't forgive in our good moments. You know, when I get over this, maybe I'll be able to forgive them. Jesus forgave his persecutors while on the cross. Well, if they show a real little repentance, well, that's good. But if you hold on to a bitter spirit, the spirit of revenge, you slowly die. And that's the problem with some of you. You're dying because you're not willing to take the words of Jesus to heart. Forgive. Aubrey goes on to say, forgiveness contains strong elements of self-denial. We must give up ourself. We must give up the moral high ground to which we think we have a right. We must give up our self-righteousness, our superiority. We are fellow sinners who need forgiveness as well. Self-pity enslaves us. So forgive. Lord, you do the repaying, and may their sin not be held to their account. But there's something else I see in this passage, and it's this. The Lord stood by my side, Paul said. Yes, he wanted Timothy to come, and thankfully Luke was there, and he hopes that a few others will show up. But I tell you this, he saw God with him. And this, my friend, may be, if there is such a thing, the secret of the Christian life. If there are five top secrets, this is one of the five. Live in the presence of God. This is what Paul said to Timothy early on. I want you in the presence of the living God, Jesus Christ, who is coming to judge the living and the dead, and at his appearing, preach the word. Do it in the presence of God. Is God in prison? With every one of his children. Paul 
is a New Testament counterpart to Joseph, right? Read the story of Joseph, or if you just want to jump in, uh, Genesis 39. Joseph is unjustly thrown into prison, and four times in Genesis 39, it says the Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, verse 2. Verse 3, when his master saw that the Lord was with him. Did you know that when God is with you, people often see it? Sold by his brothers into slavery and then lied about by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison and imprisoned two times. It says, but while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. And the warden noticed it. So he paid no attention to all the affairs of the prison because it was all under Joseph's care because the Lord was with him. And the presence of God is the greatest gift. I tell you, the presence of God is the greatest gift that you and I have along with the indwelling Holy Spirit. Joseph didn't want to stay in prison. Now, don't get this idea that it's a weird spirituality that loves pain. You know, Lord, send me trials. Don't pray that prayer. They're coming. <laughs> pray for grace in the trials. I, I love this. Joseph said this. This is chapter 40 of Genesis. Remember, two of Pharaoh's uh, attendants were thrown in prison as well, and they were both being taken out. And Joseph says to one of them, the butler who's going to live. When all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Remember me, mention me to Pharaoh when you get out of prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being in this dungeon. Get me out. Now that is not going against the spirit of God's got me here. So pray for healing. Pray that your bad situation will be changed. But until it is, this is where the Lord has me. And I will not become bitter. Revengeful. I'm going to express the spirit of Christ in forgiveness. The Lord was by his side. And the result of that is what? Strength. But the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength. Did you know that this is the same Greek word that is used in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul said, I know how to abound and I know how to be abased. He was in prison when he wrote this, by the way. And it's the presence of Christ that gives me strength. David said in Psalm 16, I always saw the Lord before my face. He is at my right hand, so I shall not be moved. And that's quoted in the book of Acts. So significant. See God beside you. Live in the presence of Christ. There's no greater gift. In his presence is fullness of what? Joy. Now that may be speaking about heaven, but his presence even right now brings us wonderful Peace, perfect peace. Remember Paul's thorn in the flesh? This messenger of Satan sent to torment Paul. He prayed three times for God to remove it, and God said, no, no, no. 
Have you ever had a no as an answer to your prayer? You're in good company. But what did the Lord teach Paul? He said, I'm teaching you that in your weakness, I will give you strength. That's the answer. My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your pitiful, weak condition. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about the weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Same thing happens to him now at the end of his life. My weakness is a perfect opportunity for God to show his strength. That means I'm going to be healed. No, Paul's going to die. But before he does, he's living out the gospel and touching many lives. In fact, we read that he was given strength, verse 17, so that through Paul the message, the gospel, might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So Alexander is opposing the message of the gospel. But Paul says earlier in 2 Timothy, you can't chain up the word of God. I might be chained, but the word of God cannot be contained. And Paul, from his position, fully proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. How did he do that? Well, here's just one thought. It's very possible that Paul's trial took place in the famous Roman Forum, which you can still visit today. Rome in that day had a, uh, a very representative form of government, so they had representatives coming in from all over the kingdom, and at their trials, the public had access to what was going on. So imagine a forum filled with interested people and all the representatives from all the empire, and Paul's on trial. What do you have to say for yourself, Paul? Well, I have to say one thing. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, so loves the world that he died for every one of you. And then he was buried and crucified. You guys had a part in it, by the way. But he's been raised from the dead. And I tell you, all you representatives who soon will go back to your places in the Roman kingdom, that God lives and Jesus is alive and he'll save every one of you who trusts in him. And he fully proclaimed the gospel until I'm sure someone slapped him or said, that's enough. You know, preachers can preach long sermons. And someone would have to stop Paul from all that he wanted to proclaim. Paul said, I fully proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And I was delivered, verse 17, I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Because the Lord stood by my side. What does that mean? Nobody knows for sure, except the lion was often used for an emperor. Some people think this refers to Nero. I was delivered from the lion's mouth, yet it appears to be Nero that ultimately executed Paul. It could have been Rome itself. It could be evil. It could be the devil who, like a roaring lion... It could have been temptation. But Paul was delivered, he said. God rescued me. In verse 18, he will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Did you notice the tension of the word rescue? 
God has delivered me. He will deliver me. He has delivered me in the temporal setting multiple times. And at my final deliverance, which will be his execution, I'll safely arrive in the heavenly kingdom. There is no guarantee that you will be preserved until Jesus comes. I like the idea. I hope it happens. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But we have no idea when Jesus is coming back. We've got to be prepared to be persecuted for Christ, to suffer for the gospel, and to stand. So Paul is delivered, has been delivered multiple times from the mouth of the devil himself, from the mouth of the Roman Empire. The Lord has rescued him from every evil attack, and he will rescue him by taking him heavenly to his heavenly kingdom. He could say to Nero, you may take me from this earthly kingdom, but all that does is transport me to my heavenly kingdom, and I will be safe there. There are some who oppose us, but the Lord stands by our side. Quickly, there are some who will support us. So you've got the opposers and the supporters. If the others do us harm, these people do us much good. Like verse 11 in chapter 4, Luke, the beloved physician. What a loyal companion and faithful friend. Look at verse 21. All of the unknowns, or four, I should say, of the unknowns, not necessarily all of them, but they're mentioned here. These individuals that really no one knows. We, we, we know in verse 19 about Prisca, or Priscilla and Aquila, and the household of Onesiphorus, or Anasiphorus. Erastus we know something about. We'll look at him a little bit next week. But look at verse 21. Eubulus, Prudence, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren, they greet you. So now there are some people who are coming around Paul's side to encourage him. The unknowns. But there is a name in verse 19 that bears a moment of thought. This Ananiferous. Anasiphorus. Let's call him Oni for short. <laughs> he is mentioned in chapter 1. So let's go back there and just for a moment look at this man who refreshed the Apostle Paul. That's a beautiful word refreshed. We read about this in chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. Verse 16, may the Lord show mercy to the house of Oni, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. So think of these three things characteristics of this person who's going to support him. He refreshes me. This was said uh, back in, in the book of Philemon, just a few pages to the right. Paul said to Philemon, you constantly refresh me. You know, there are some people that drain you. <laughs> you spend a little bit of time with them and your energy is gone. So-and-so's at the door, I'm gone, you say. 
But if another so-and-so is at the door, ah, this person always is a blessing to me. And I look out in this congregation and I see people who have spent extra time with individuals to bless them. You know, when someone says to me, Pastor, I'd like to meet with you privately uh, on Monday. What's it about? Well, I'm not going to tell you. I just want to meet. Uh, you've ruined my weekend. <laughs> I'll not sleep. I'll conjure up all kinds of ideas. I'll even make up some excuses about what might happen. And then it may be just harmless. But the people who come to refresh. Do you have some people who refresh you? Don't raise your hands, but raise your hands inside your heart. <laughs> Do you have people who refresh you? Spend time with them. Can others say of you, wow, you are refreshing. You're like a cool drink of water on a hot August day. Be around those people. And he wasn't ashamed. This is the very thing that Paul was telling Timothy. Don't be ashamed of my chains. Don't be ashamed that I'm a prisoner. Everyone else has deserted me. Except for Onesiphorus. He was right there. And then thirdly, he stood by me. Now this, again, does not contradict the fact that we need the Lord. We need the Lord and we want others with us. But he searched all over Rome. Where is Paul, the one they call the heretic. Where is Paul, sometimes called an apostle? You know, the man who once served in Judaism and now has been... A, can you tell me where he is? Oh, yeah, he's over in the dungeon. And there goes Onesiphorus to spend time with Paul. Wow. Loyal, courageous, persistent, kind. He even did something for Paul when Paul served back in Ephesus. Some unspecified, unknown help. But he was right there with Paul in the ministry. And he's right there with Paul in the prison. And I tell you, it doesn't get any better than that. Because you will have, all of us, people who oppose you and people who refresh you. And you need to forgive the first and you need to embrace the second. By the way, it's very interesting. In verse 17, Paul said... The Lord was with me. Do you see that? Go down to the last verse, the very last words that Paul ever wrote. Maybe wrote even with his own pen. The Lord be with you. There is no greater gift than the presence of God. There is no greater blessing for us than to live in the presence of God. That's where we need to live. You say, I can't see him, but he is there. You have promises. Talk to him. Build a relationship. Sense he is there. Know he is there. Sometimes you will feel he is there. Don't count on that all the time, but sometimes that happens. We walk by faith, not by sight. But sometimes he just says, I'm here. And you know it. Live your life in the presence of God where there is fullness of joy. Strength of heart and acceptance and forgiveness and soon promotion to heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
what lessons we draw from the book of 2 Timothy. We should go on and on indefinitely. But there is so much in your word and we long not only to know it and to dig deep in it, but to apply it. So my prayer today for every person here is that first of all, they will trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Turn from their sin and by faith say, Jesus, save me and be my Lord. And then, Lord, I pray for every believer here today that you will teach us to forgive those who hurt us and to embrace those who refresh us. But to be conscious of the fact that our life needs to be lived in your presence. From which all the blessings of the gospel are given to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, the risen and coming King. Amen. We're going to sing hymn 379 as we close. 379, you can open your hymnal to that. While you're doing so, just wanted to make mention of a few things that are going on in the life of our church. Behold the Lamb of God concert. We've mentioned this several times. We'll probably This will be the last time we mention it for a while, but already 350 tickets sold. want to encourage you. We expect it to sell out. So if you think you might want to go, you can purchase your tickets now. Men's Bible study is going to be starting back up again, and we just encourage you to give Dick Ranshaw a call and the children's ministry. Please sign up. Always need children's helpers, so encourage you to do so. South Fest is coming. You can go out to the concourse table and sign up with South Fest and find a place to volunteer so you can serve those that are visiting. And we have the special Lug Nuts event coming up uh, August 16th, and so we encourage you to sign up there in the concourse table as well. Everything's in the bulletin or out on the concourse table. Let's stand together. 379. I just wanted to say about Andrew Peterson's uh, concert, some of you might be thinking, you know, this is really modern music. I don't want to be here. First of all, it's, it's new stuff that he has written. It's acoustic. It's insightful. It's biblical. And what's that great song we always sing where the congregation responds, is he worthy? And the congregation responds, he is. That's Andrew. We're going to get to do that with him in concert with the huge choir, you and the place is almost sold out. So I encourage you to come, bring others. It'll be a great night in the gospel.